Dress the History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. For 7 billion people in the world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Dressed, the History of Fashion, a podcast where we explore the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, April Callahan and Cassidy Zachary. As we love to say on Trust, April, fashion is about more than pretty clothes. That sure is. <laughs> and as we discussed with Tuesday's guest, Dr. Beverly Lemire, fashion and the fashioned body can also be about creative sartorial defiance, a concept that relates directly to every single individual featured in Christian Allaire's wonderful new book, The Power of Style. And our regular dress listeners might remember Christian from our episode last season, The Future of Fashion is Indigenous. And Christian has done incredible work bringing the work of Indigenous fashion designers and fashion history to the fore as a staff writer at Vogue magazine. And this is something that he continues to do in his new book, which is, quote, dedicated to all the kids who feel like they aren't seen or heard, end quote. And Christian reminds us in the book that clothes are never just clothes— Style is not just the clothes on our backs. It's self-expression, representation, and transformation. This book is a testament to the creed, Representation Matters. And as a young, self-proclaimed, fashion-obsessed youth Christian, who is of Ojibwe heritage, says that he never saw anyone that looked like him, never saw his culture, you know, featured or celebrated in the fashion and magazines he so admired. And he is actively working to change that, both through his work at Vogue, but also this incredibly inspiring book. All the people he features are a loud and proud reminder to young people to be yourself, and you can have fun with the dress body while doing it. And we are so happy to have Christian back on the show. Christian, welcome back. Christian, welcome back to Dressed. It's such a pleasure to see you via Zoom again. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I am so excited to talk to you about your book. I just want to say, first off, congratulations. This is incredible. Thank you so much. I want to hear a little bit about what was your inspiration behind this wonderful book dedicated to, quote, all the kids who feel like they are not seen or heard? Yeah, I mean, I really uh, wrote this book selfishly because I kind of hoped I had something like this when I was a kid. That was really the jumping off point um, because... You know, when I was a kid, I was really interested in fashion and I knew I wanted to do that and be a part of it. But um, I never really saw like indigenous culture represented anywhere. You know, I would watch fashion television, I would read Vogue and I wouldn't see all this beautiful regalia that I knew, you know, and was accustomed to and it wasn't being represented. And so what that does is makes you feel really inferior or maybe even embarrassed of your culture And it really had a long effect on me, like throughout my youth. And so I hope this book, if anything, just shows kids that there's other people like them out there who are, you know, really embracing their culture through style and that they should do that too. You know, if I read this when I was a kid, I maybe wouldn't have shunned my culture for so long, you know? So that's kind of just what inspired me to write it. 
Yeah. And I mean, you're basically telling young people that it's okay to love yourself. It's okay to be who you are and to embrace, you know, your cultural identity or your gender identity or non-conforming gender identity. There's all these different people throughout this book who really speak to the power of style, but the power of also being you and being yourself through dress. And I was at your book launch party hosted by Karina Emmerich. (laughs) Yes, thank you. Yeah. And uh, she, of course, is a past dress guest. She's one of my all-time favorite designers. And she said, just like you did, that she really wished she had this book growing up. Because the way we dress our bodies is such a powerful medium of expression, and it's not always something that is easily navigated growing up. And you write, this book is for anyone who has never felt represented, who has felt inferior or less beautiful, and who has questioned their roots. In your interview with us last season, you talked about how your cultural heritage has shaped your relationship with dress. And it's only fitting that the first section in your book is entitled My Culture's Couture. And I'd love if you could tell us about the significance of the ribbon shirt to Ojibwe culture and what did having years made as an adult teach you? Mm. So the ribbon shirt, um, it was actually the first piece of regalia that I owned, like traditional regalia. Um, My grandmother, Lita, made me one when I was like a baby. So the (laughs) ribbon shirt was tiny, but um, it really was the first and only piece of regalia I had for the longest time. And so I knew it was special. Ribbon shirts are used by a lot of different tribes. Um, It's kind of a universal piece of regalia, like a lot of different tribes do it. But in Ojibwe culture, it's a special occasion piece. So you really only wear it, you know, if you're going to a powwow or if you're going to like a really important event. And so as I, you know, grew up and kind of got more comfortable with my culture I was like, I need a ribbon shirt. Like, this is something that's so ingrained in our culture and I need one as an adult. It's kind of crazy, but I don't have one. And so, you know, really just with my mom and my aunts, we took that very first shirt I had and just recreated it in a bigger size. The only thing we changed were the colors of the ribbons because I wanted to represent my elders. So I have all my mom's favorite colors, my grandma's favorite colors, my grandpa's favorite color. And so that kind of just like represents, you know, where I come from. It's kind of like my ode to that. And then we added a crane on the back to represent our crane clan. And But really, it, it was based on that very first shirt because it was so special to me. So I kind of love having an adult size now. And I love that in a way, you're really connecting with your younger self. That's, yeah. that's really beautiful. And there's, you know, I went through a period when I was a teenager where it was like wearing a ribbon shirt was the last thing I wanted to wear. Like I'd rather be caught dead. Uh, but now it's like, you know, the one thing I'm dying to wear to an event. So your book is targeted towards younger readers, which is awesome. I, of course, am not a young reader, but I, there's a lot that I valued in it. And so you explore the power style across five sections of the book, um, where you introduce us to all of these inspiring individuals who incorporate this power into their own clothed expressions of identities, identities that are often directly challenging societally imposed, quote unquote, normative standards of beauty. And yes, this even translates into costumes. I loved, I loved, loved, loved your section on cosplay. Dress listeners will know I'm like fascinated. I'm not part of cosplay culture, but I'm fascinated by it. But I'm just curious what made you want to include a section on cosplay? And can you maybe introduce us to a couple of the badass individuals you feature in this section? Because there's so many cool people. Yes. Well, like you, I'm fascinated with the cosplay world. I'm also not 
a part of that world. But um, really, a lot of the themes of the book, as I was just doing research, was finding people who have in their own communities felt to be made to feel less beautiful or inferior. And that's very much a thing in cosplaying, which I did not know. A lot of big cosplaying conventions or competitions have all these rigid rules about what you can dress up as, um, which I found kind of shocking. Like, if you're plus size, you need to be cosplaying as a plus size character. Or if you're a female cosplayer, you can only do female characters. And I was like, isn't the whole point of cosplaying stepping outside of yourself and like being creative? Why are these, (laughs) these binding rules are insane? And so that's kind of why I thought it was a good fit for the book, because a few examples of people in there, like someone like Tranquil Ashes is an amazing cosplayer. And she like, you know, goes against the whole gender roles. You know, she will do a male character. She'll do an alien. She'll do a man. She does not care. And I think we need people like that who are going against the rules so that these really outdated rules are not a thing anymore. (laughs) And someone like Captain76, I think she goes by Cap, talks a lot about um, being a plus size cosplayer and how sometimes it's harder to win a competition if you're plus size because judges favor skinnier cosplayers. It's just a thing still. And I found that so shocking. Which is just egregious because she's beautiful, one, and her costuming skills are ridiculous. Ridiculous. And, you know, that's to say, too, that that there should be, and there's a lot of this going on online on Instagram. I follow a lot of people in these communities. There's a much bigger conversation about this happening and this push towards diversity and inclusion. And it's like, it's an entry level, too. You don't have to be this amazing seamstress. Do You just have to have, as you put it in the book, you give us a sheet, a page that tells you these are the tools you need. And it's like hot glue gun, right. scissors. And creativity. (laughs) Like, that's all you need. You know, you don't need to be, like, project runway designer. Like, just have fun with it. Yeah. And, I mean, I think that's what we need more of, and that's what this book really speaks to, is we all have our own unique expressions, and we should be encouraged to celebrate them. We should not be encouraged to fit into these narrow boxes that have existed for so, so long. And I was so thrilled to see you have an entire section on modest fashion, um, which is really celebrating Muslim women's relationship with fashion. uh, Modest fashion is also like a multi-billion dollar fashion industry now as well. All of the women you feature shatter the misconceptions about how a Muslim woman can express herself through clothing, including the absolutely incredible Muslim fashion influencer model, Leah Vernon, Mm -hmm. um, author of the book, Unashamed Musings of a Fat Black Muslim. What does she teach us about, quote unquote, fashioning modesty? Mm. Well, she's fabulous, first of all. Um, And she's kind of like the perfect example of breaking stereotypes around modest style. Like, you know, you think modest style, you think obviously coverage and covered up. But for her, you know, yes, she does that. But it's like, that doesn't have to mean that it's simple or all black or, you know, she dresses in the most vibrant colors and has the most fun style and wears like tutus and bright colors. And I think she goes to show that, you know, people have a lot of preconceived notions about how Muslim women should dress or do dress. And she just like totally flips that on its head. And um, she really also opened my eyes about being, you know, Black and Muslim and how a lot of 
modest fashion brands cater to a white Muslim audience. And she won't, you know, when she's looking at campaigns, she won't see any black models in these modest clothing brands. And I found that also shocking. I'm like, how in 2021? So I just love how outspoken she is and how she's always educating her followers. I think it's so inspiring. Yeah, she has one new follower in me for sure. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners, you definitely have to check her out because, I mean, she's just incredible. Such such a fun, playful approach to dressing. And you make this really insightful and perceptive comparison in this chapter, which kind of blew my mind. But once I read it, I was like, no, this makes perfect sense. You compare the bikini and the burkini. Yeah, I mean, it just kind of was like a, uh, a funny little thing I thought of. I was like, you know, on one hand, if, you know, someone wears a bikini and say like, I don't know, a beauty pageant competition, they're, you know, immediately judged for being, you know, sexualized or, you know, showing their body or um, being explicit or, or whatever. And then, but then if a woman wears a burkini, they're like, oh, they're a slave to their religion. They're covered up. It's like, you really can't win. You really cannot win. And so by doing that comparison, I just wanted to show like, you need to do what you want to do and you need to dress how you want to dress. Because as we see here, you're going to be judged no matter what. And that should not matter. Like who cares? People love to police women's bodies. Yes. Historically today. I mean, I guess arguably all bodies are policed through clothing. And so, so many people within this book are really pushing back against that, subverting those boxes that society and cultures want to put us in and people you want to put us in and, you know, rising above of those restrictions and just like really beautiful, expressive ways. Men in heels. yes my favorite (laughs) my favorite thing ever yeah I'm I mean me too this is a topic we've actually covered on dress we did a whole episode on it I think in season one and we talked to Elizabeth Semelhack who's the senior curator at the Bata Shoe Museum Um, and she came on and talked about how heels were first worn by men and you talk about this in your book too and then later adopted by women you know Louis the 14th high heels But the pendulum has almost completely swung the other way, with the exception of a brief period in the 60s and 70s, maybe, with platforms. Heels have become a really deeply gendered garment, and they really remain it today. I've argued, and I think it's true, but you, you can let me know what you think. It's kind of one of the last gendered garments, along with the skirt. Absolutely. And you feature multiple people in this section who are smashing these conventions and reclaiming the heel for men and non-binary individuals. I would love if you could tell us about the duo behind Ciro, who was also part of your book launch, and just a fantastic duo with a really, really awesome business. Yeah, I mean, Ciro's amazing. They're in Brooklyn. It's run by the duo Henry and Shobo. And really, you know, they told me about, you know, both of them, when they were young, they would sneak into her mom's closet, wear her heels, and were just really confused about why they couldn't wear them. It felt really natural to them to want to wear heels. And so, you know, growing up, there was like always this sense of shame around their queer identity and wanting to wear, you know, feminine pieces. And um, so they really started the brand because they couldn't find heels in their size to wear. You know, it started out of a personal need. And as they grew the brand, they found a a really big audience who also couldn't find heels in their size. 
in 2021, there's still that, not that many size-inclusive heel brands. It's kind of crazy. And so I love that they're, you know, designing. They, they say de- they design shoes for all, but really a lot of their consumers are men or non-binary people who have larger feet and, you know, <laughs> need these shoes. And it's such a gap in the market. So I, th- I think they're genius. Yeah, absolutely. And as I mentioned, I came to your book launch, I asked a question of the audience. And I just have to share this story because I asked a question of your guests, when did you first learn about the magical transformative power of clothing growing up? And this is something I probably asked you when you were on, I ask a lot of my guests uh, that question. And I had to tell you that Henry's answer has completely made me rethink how I will ask this question moving forward. Because as you mentioned for Henry and for Xiaobao as well, as a child, clothing was not magical. It was not this, you know, positive thing in their lives. It was strictly gendered. It was restricted, restrictive and restricted. It was shameful for them to wear their mother's clothing. So, um, you know, power, the power of clothing is not always positive, but Mm -hmm. in, in the case of Henry, uh, and Xiaobao, they really took those boxes, those restrictions and just completely, you know, shatter them. Yes. And even, they even say today, you know, they, they wear their heels down the street and like people turn their heads or like say a comment, but they just do not care anymore. And I love that attitude. You know, I think that's what we all need to do. They've felt ashamed for so long that now it's like they do they couldn't care less. I think that's so great. And so your book is really this testament to like young people now saying, I know that you might feel this way, but look at all of these people who don't live within those standards, who are pushing back against these, you know, negative stereotypes and these negative gender codes and roles. And so, you know, all yourself, everyone in this book are really an inspiration two young people everywhere to, and I mean, let's be honest, everyone can learn from this. Throw gendered fashion to the curb. Wear what makes you happy. Wear what brings you joy and embrace any facet of dress that you want to wear that, that achieves that for you. Yeah. There's no age limit on that teaching. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So if there's one thing you hope your young readers will take away from this book, what would that be? Hmm. Well, I just think, you know, it is for youth. And I mean, yes, it is for all ages, but I think it's especially important for youth. And kids are sponges. Often they want to wear what their friends are wearing, what their favorite star is wearing. And if, you know, they don't see anyone from their culture wearing something, they're not going to wear it. And so I hope by reading this book, they just see, you know, all these amazing individuals, like you said, expressing themselves and just feel like, okay, you know, if one kid says, okay, maybe my culture is kind of cool. I'm going to wear that traditional piece. I'm happy. That's all I want is for one kid to read this and be like, okay, like, you know, I'm kind of into it. It's cool. That's all I want. (laughs) Fabulous. And, you know, I really do love too that you kind of explore fashion, but as like fashioning is like almost like a verb as a process, like the fashioning of the body. Mm -hmm. You're very specific in that it's not the power of fashion. It's the power of style, you know, and style is so much more individual in its, you know, expressions. Yeah, my tagline is becoming like, you should wear something because nobody is wearing it. You know, that's like my new tagline. (laughs) (laughs) Kristen, thank you so much for being here. I know our listeners are hopefully going to go out and get your book for their children, for their young people in their lives. I know I certainly am. This was such a pleasure again. Thank you. Thank you.
What an inspiration for young people to have a positive relationship with dress, their bodies, and their cultural heritage. You know, just think, Cass, what a more beautiful and accepting world we all might live in if we could just teach kids to love themselves and others just as themselves, not some pre-prescribed notion of what society thinks that they should be. And, you know, Heck, maybe society will change. I mean, I think it is slowly. I always joke that I would love to be alive 100 years from now to see what culture looks like. Again. <laughs> <Exactly>. uh, <laughs> you know, this book might be for young readers, but it is definitely a message we can all incorporate. Just be you. Or, as Oscar Wilde once quipped, be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. I love that. (laughs) I also want to note that all of the themes featured and many of the individuals featured in the book have been explored or featured by Christian in his work at Vogue. And this is really the beginning of Christian's career, and I am so excited to continue following him well into the future as he continues to expand the definition of fashion to celebrate all of these multifaceted aspects of clothes expression from around the world. I think that does it for us today, dress listeners. May you consider the joy of self-fashioning and self-expression next time you get dressed. Dress listeners, we are, as of now, moving forward quite cautiously, but also optimistically that we might be doing a dressed trip to Paris in August of 2021. So if you would like to join us, please head over to likemindstravel.com for more information. And we love hearing from you always. So please write to us at dressed at iheartmedia.com. And you know, we post images to accompany each week's episode on Instagram. So follow along at dressed underscore podcast. As always, special thanks to our producers, Casey Pegram, Holly Fry, and everyone else at iHeartRadio who makes this show possible each and every week. More dress coming your way on Tuesday. Dress, the History of Fashion, is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your favorite shows.